I suppose you could say that theft comes in many forms. My daughter was a small child. She was small enough to be able to sit in the, um, in the front of the buggy, in the little child seat in the front of the buggy at Target. But she was not yet old enough to know the commandments. And she spotted a DVD with the Muppets on the front of the DVD, and she wanted it. So she asked Kim, my wife, uh, if she could have it, and Kim said no, she could not. Kim commented later, after the deed was done, that Chandler seemed uncharacteristically calm after she had been told no. Sure enough, in the parking lot, unloading the Target hall, Kim lifts Chandler up out of the, out of the front of the buggy, and there, underneath her bottom, was that DVD in question. And Chandler looked up at Kim with a satisfied grin, and Kim had visions of our little sweet cherub doing hard time at some point <laughs> down the line. Stealing happens in lots of ways, you could say. I was riding in a big church bus through a desolate part of central Florida with a bus full of youth and some adults, and we were taking some children home. They were the sons and daughters of the migrant farm workers who lived on this desolate road. We saw heat radiating off of the tops of these small trailers that dotted the fields all along. And the pastor of Bethel Farm Worker Ministries was in that bus with us. And he was telling us that these homes were unair conditioned, that there were sometimes you know, people, uh, families of six or eight or 10 or 12 who were living in them. They were the families that were the migrant workers, who, seasonal workers who worked in those fields picking the fruits that many of us enjoy. They're charged rent, he told us, by the landowners, sometimes quite exorbitant rent that ca caused these migrant workers to be in debt to the landowners. And one of the teens on the bus said, that just doesn't seem quite legal. And the pastor responded, well, in many cases it isn't, but also they aren't legal themselves. If they speak up, they could easily be deported. Then the pastor said a little later after it got kind of quiet on the bus, think about that the next time you enjoy a cheap orange from Walmart. That kind of stung. Stealing comes in many forms. Did you hear about the pastor in New York who had his jewelry stolen from him in the middle of the service while he was preaching at gunpoint in the middle of the sermon? The thieves made out with $1 million worth of jewels. You heard that right. The pastor was preaching with millions of dollars of diamonds and gold on his person. Thankfully, no one was hurt, but next time the pastor should consider wearing a robe. You think that I just wear this for liturgical reasons. Because there are many forms of theft, the commandment not to steal then must, must cover lots of ground. 
must touch on all the ways that we are capable of stealing from one another, some obvious and flagrant, some more subtle, yet just as damaging. Eugenia Gamble helps us in understanding how to think about the commandment prohibiting stealing by reminding us of the immediate context that these commandments came to the ancient Israelites. These were people who were wandering in the wilderness. They were formerly enslaved, and now they are quite vulnerable. They are already living close to the edge. And to take the little bit that they have, the little bit that belongs to your fellow traveler, is not only cruel, but it harms that, that young community that's just learning how to be a community together. I think that all Ten Commandments can be understood in this way. Rules for the road, rules of the road for a wandering people moving from bondage to freedom. Indeed, I think they remain this for us today. We too are a called out people set free by the grace of God and called to live differently in the world in ways that bring life and not death to steal from another person is to diminish that person's life the act of stealing diminishes the life of the person who steals as well and Eugenia Gamble says it plainly stealing cannot be part of the beloved community it cannot and underneath Even that, the commandment goes deeper still. Underneath all this talk of ownership and possession lies an even more fundamental reality, that God is the owner of everything. That God is the owner of everything. And that we are stewards of the manifold gifts and graces of God. God's wealth is something that we are stewards over during our brief span of time on the earth. Surely those wandering Israelites understood that all they had and were belonged to God, the God who had rescued them from their Egyptian enslavers. Do you recall that every night while the Israelites slept, manna, bread from heaven, fell to the ground and they were told to gather that manna up in the morning, but to only gather enough for the day, for they and their family, not to hoard the manna, not to get baskets and pour it in there out of fear or a feeling of scarcity, but to trust that God would provide the next morning and then the next morning. To hoard was a kind of theft. It indicated a lack of faith a belief that God somehow would not provide. And this is at the root, I think, of so much theft. A deep feeling of lack. A deep feeling of of lacking something. But if God is the owner of all, to steal from someone is ultimately to steal from God. It's this theological conviction that God was the owner of all that drove those Old Testament prophets that you've heard before 
to rail against the rulers of the people. You rob widows' houses, they would say. You fail to care for the orphan. You sell the needy for a pair of sandals. It was all rising from that fundamental conviction that we are all guests upon the land. And so it's important how we care for one another, how we steward the resources that we possess. I recently ran into someone connected with GraceWorks, one of our mission partners here in town. And she made a point to, to thank our church, First Presbyterian, for all the ways that we support that organization, not only financially, but also with volunteers. And we do support it. And then she said, every time we see a volunteer, every time we receive a gift, no matter the size of it, it sheds a little more light for our work. It tells us that we are not alone in this work, that we have partners who care, who care like we care, and that we're not alone in this work in the world. And I thought about her words while living with this commandment for the last couple of weeks. Our stewardship, the ways we share the wealth that already belongs to God is a concrete way that we mark our connections to one another, to our siblings. Here and around the world, generosity builds community. It relieves isolation. It communicates that we're all in this together. To steal, on the other hand, isolates us and pits us against one another and loosens those connections that hold us fast. So the commandment against stealing is yet another word of love, a gift that invites us into deeper connection and abundant life. One of the ways to better understand the Ten Commandments is to see the ways that the Israelites fleshed them out in the rest of the law. As you know, there were 613 total laws in Judaism. And all of them are in one way or another a commentary, a fleshing out of each of these 10 commandments. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, the people are instructed, if you see your neighbor's ox wandering free, don't ignore that. Don't hide from your neighbor, your neighbor's trouble, but go and get the ox and, and take it back to its owner. And if you don't know who the owner is, then take it back to your house and care for the ox until you can find out who the owner is and the owner can claim them. The law ends with these words, you shall not see your neighbor's donkey or ox fallen on the road and ignore it. You shall help to lift it up. And one of the commentators said this is like the economics of the straying ox. Economics of the straying ox that we do not hide ourselves from our neighbors in need, but that we contribute to the well-being of everyone in the neighborhood, even to the point of inconveniencing ourselves. Now Patrick Miller points out that that Hebrew word ignore literally means 
to hide one's self. You're not to hide yourself from your neighbor in need. Inaction is another form of theft. And here we get to the deeper roots of the commandment. We are part of a community. Sometimes it's our neighbor who needs the help. Sometimes we need the help. The ethic of the Eighth Commandment is that none of us hide behind the doors of our homes while a neighbor suffers. Indeed, the German father of the Reformation, Martin Luther, wrote, we are commanded to promote and further our neighbor's interests. And when they suffer any want, we are to help, share, and lend to both friends and foes. I read in the paper about the devastating floods that have happened to our neighbors in eastern Kentucky just this past week in the town of Hazard. And the article I read said that the town of Bremen, Kentucky, which is over 300 miles away on the other side of the state in western Kentucky, was planning already trips across the state to Hazard with supplies and volunteers, even as that community continues to recover from one of the worst tornadoes in the state's history. In fact, we took uh, a trip. Some of our adults were recently in Kentucky helping recover from that tornado. In December, Hazard had sent supplies and volunteers to Bremen. Now, Bremen is sending them to Hazard. The article pointed out, trying to explain what was going on here, that generations of hardship in Kentucky had taught the residents that they needed one another in times of trouble. And I'm sure that's quite true. And I think it may also be true that generations upon generations of people gathering in congregations from the western side of the state to the eastern side of the state and hearing the word that calls us out of hiding and into support and love of neighbor, whether friend or foe, that also played a part in that response. After all, the best antidote to possessiveness and thievery is generosity. And through the power of the Spirit, together we can be a people who manifest what Paul calls the fruits of the Spirit, among which are love and generosity. Paul says there's no law against these things. There's no law against love and generosity. If we are all guests on this good earth and all belongs to God, then our response can be one of gratitude and thanksgiving and abundant generosity. This is how God in the power of the Spirit brings us to life. I'm not sure that that larger theological truth was clear to my daughter when she was marched back into Target with the pilfered DVD and made to apologize through copious tears to the store manager. But I hope as time went on, she began to see it. 
And I hope we'll at least pause and reflect on it whenever we're in that produce aisle and we wonder how many hands did this pass through before it got to me. And who knows, maybe even the bold robbers who would take the jewels right off of the preacher while he is preaching heard something in that house of worship on the way to doing that deed, maybe a line from a hymn or a piece of a text or a cadence of a prayer calling them, calling us to a better way, a better life, the way of life, the way of love. Because theft does come in many forms, and so does love. Amen.